Howdy, meeps, and welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Hey! hey, hey. So we're live here, and it is Wednesday night, so that means it must be Meeple Syrup Time, which is the best time of the day, uh, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and for those of you on the West Coast, it is 6 p.m., uh, which is both Jesse and our guest today, uh, Mr. Nathan Wiseman. How are you, Nate? I'm doing good. Doing well. That's awesome. So um, why don't you introduce yourself before we start in on what we're talking about today? Uh, cool. My name's uh, Nathan Wiseman. I'm a game designer. I've been in the industry for about uh, six years now. Uh, I started uh, in the video game portion of it at uh, Hairbrains Games, working on hybrid games. Um, and then uh, went freelance for a while uh, before ending up at uh, Forest Prison Creative, uh, which was recently bought by uh, Funko. Um, so. Cool. And I mean, honestly, you were kind of born into the industry, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, my dad is uh, Jordan Wiseman, who is known for creating Battletech and, and uh, Shadowrun and uh, Crimson Skies. He, uh, he was the founder of uh, Facet Games. Yeah, so a little bit of pedigree there, which is excellent. Uh, it's it's nice to see that it is a thing that can continue on and on and on. It's not just you know this random job that people have, uh, which is great. So and your tonight, brother is in uh, your brother's in the in the industry too. Yeah, that's true. He's also a game designer. Uh, yeah, it runs in the family. Uh, so today we're talking about inside the industry, not necessarily about genealogy, but uh, we're talking about design studios. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, that's that. Maybe that's next time. Uh, design studios and design studios specifically um, <clears throat> around the idea of what are they, what do we do with them, and how are they? How is that changing the scape, the landscape of of how games are made hmm. nowadays? I mean, they've yeah. been around, but I don't think a lot of people know what they are. So um, let's see what's going on here with my little things. Oh, there's Nate and. Um, Nathan, can you tell us how do design studios work? So um, as far as my experience goes, and I've worked with uh, Fantasy Flight and a few other uh, studios just kind of in passing uh, before uh, Funko, is like there isn't one way a design studio works. Um, it really is based on the, the culture and uh, the leadership of, of that studio. Um, so at uh, Forrest Brazan and now Funko, um, there's very much a communal kind of family feeling, uh, and it's because of that, it's a very horizontal structure uh, compared to um, my experience, at, uh, from what I saw at least at, at Fantasy Flight, there seemed to be more of a, a traditional structure of like who you would report to and, and whatnot. Um, and uh, there's also, you can see kind of uh, how that filters through even to uh, what, like what shows up on a box. So any games that we make at Forest Prison or now Funko, and none of the designers' names are ever on those boxes, uh, kind of to in, uh, embody the fact that we think we all we all worked on it, we all contributed, um, and that it's a it's a multi-discipline. Uh, uh, it's basically everyone from lots of different disciplines put their their time in it, and um, it's so we think it's uh, the best representation not to put a single designer's name on it or or anything in the the kind of show it is the the work of the team. Okay, and, and but are your names in the rules somewhere or uh, no? Uh, our names that's, are that's cool. uh, not in the rules or anything. So the we are all listed on our, our website. Um, okay. 
And uh, so you can find out who we are. And uh, but we also encourage everyone who works at the company, either as a contractor uh, or a full time employee, uh, if they're at a con to to sign uh, our, our user, uh, not our username. <laughs> our, um, <laughs> Uh, the name too. Yeah, right. So uh, there's a there's a pen name that we all we all use, and that's that's what we sign boxes with. Um, so oh, that's cool. That's and cool. Um, with the with the idea of the team, what does Force present now, Funko, as the design house? What do you guys have there in terms of personnel? Do you have just designers or is it graphics, illustrators? Is it everybody? What do you have? We have everyone from uh, game designers to uh, to graphic artists to illustrators to we have an industrial uh, designer. Um, so pretty much we can take a game from a concept to a fully fledged product all within house. Um, and so in the past, when we were strictly a design studio, not a publisher, we kind of acted like a turnkey operation where people could come to us, uh, want a game, and all they would have to do is basically deliver those files that we provided to them to the to their uh, uh, to the factory that they wanted to work yeah, yeah, yeah. with and uh, work with the distribution. Um, so we even That's have uh, uh, people on our on our team that specialize in IP acquisition and uh, sales to even help with that part of the process as well beforehand, which obviously. Mm -hmm carries over to now that we're uh, our own publisher. Uh, it's pretty useful to have. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and if, how many people are actually in the design house for uh, Funko now? Uh, we have about 30 people uh, wow. and it fluctuates because a lot of them are contractors, but there's there's about 30 people in the office every day. Okay. Um, so how does work trickle down to you guys? Are you kind of like assigned something? Do you get to say like, hey, I want that? Or you kind of like, how does work get distributed? Uh, it goes a little bit of both ways. Uh, and the team has grown recently. Uh, so we're still like kind of figuring out uh, what the best ways moving forward are. Um, so it's kind of uh, a growing process. But uh, currently how it works is um, uh depending on what part of the cycle we're in. So like currently we went through a process where we went through and said, what are all the IP or non-IP ideas for games we have? We're gonna figure out from those which we think there's interest for in the, in, in the market. And then the people who are the most inspired to have those ideas uh, and work on them are, are given those to, to work on. Um, so that's kind of ideally, we wanna make sure that our designers that are the most passionate about a project get assigned to them. Um, but that's not always the, the case. Um, and so there's also, uh, if you ever have free time or I, we're encouraged to go to Jay, who's our studio lead and, and ask for more work. Um, <laughs> it makes sense. Uh, yeah, so there's always, uh, the entire time I've been there, which is roughly eight months now, um, there's been between 25 and 30 different game projects um, that are being worked on. So there's a lot of stuff to do. Do you find the work keeps getting shifted around? Like, do you get to follow something to completion or is it sort of like you're given a certain amount of time then another person comes on board? Like, is it a bunch of cooks in the kitchen or do you actually kind of get to focus? Uh, it varies on project. Um, like, uh, But uh, a lot of the time uh, we're kind of incentivized to be comfortable with giving up the work so that not having that ownership of like, um, so just recently on a project, um, it was like I was bringing the game in a certain direction and someone else had a different uh, designer on the team thought was like, oh, like maybe if we did this thing this other way, like it could be better. And 
I was like, yeah, that seems great. And so like, I actually was proactive in saying like, I think this other designer should pick it up and run with it because they have this vision that the rest of the team seems to be responding to. And so I thought they could execute that better. Other times it's, um, we need to take X designer and bring them onto a different project that we think that they, they're better suited to or something. And so we need someone else to pick up this project that's being left behind. Um, so there is a lot of passing off. Um, and because of that, we try to like keep everyone kind of involved uh, or at least knowledgeable about what's going on. And uh, there's a lot of play testing that happens within the office so that you, you're constantly being exposed to at least the different projects, even if you're not directly working on them. Yeah, that was actually um, my my next question was about playtesting because for those of us that do not work in design studios, playtesting is usually the choke point for every design right. project, right? I'm accumulating things on my shelf then I need to test. Um, how does uh, playtesting work when you have a design studio? Do you guys have time set aside to do it? Is like everybody always on call for playtesting? And so someone rings a bell and like six people show <laughs> up and you, you play the game. Like you, you how, how does it happen? How do you keep the gears turning? That's yeah, the real so we have now. a it, we salivate. have a few different um, uh, yeah you guys are about to be very jealous uh, we have a few different stages of playtesting uh, first is our playtesting just with other designers um, and that's basically uh, you have something ready and playable that you you've made you guys all made prototypes very similar we have a workshop where we have components from everything from literally doll heads to blank dice. <laughs> Um, I don't know what we're going to use a doll's head for, but I'll figure it out eventually. You never know. Um, you never know. Uh, and uh, so we make our prototypes. We then find uh, other designers that have uh, time in their schedule uh, often, and you, you just start playtesting it there. Uh, that's how you get the first kind of few iterations done. Um, after that, we have uh, what we call workshoppers, which are uh, paid part-time people that come in, and uh, they just uh, play the games uh, and they come in two to three times a week and they're there for uh, four to five hours um, and we just give them different tasks and they give us feedback on those. So that's our kind of next step of uh, play testing. And then finally we have people uh, that we just, we call, we have civilians that we bring in from the wild who sign up. Uh, they're given uh, copies of the games that they play test. And we actually, there's different varying levels of play testing either where we're teaching them the game or where we have rules that we're testing. Um, where we just kind of give them an out of box. We just give them the box, the rules, and uh, we have uh, a window or double-sided mirror that we can sit behind in a room that's just full of cameras. And we can just watch them uh, try to figure out the game so that we can not only test the game, but the rules as well. Um, and then, so, uh, lots of testing that we get access to. That's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what, it, it's traditional for, maybe a lot of other industries to hear stuff like that. It's it's interesting from the gaming side because it's either like you hear about a few kind of studios or you hear about like everybody's kind of chugging along on their own. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a very interesting, yeah. it's a switch. What was it that transition like for you going from being like, you know, somebody who, you know, designed your own games, had your name on it. And now you're, you know, kind of inside of this whole system. It's something that I, uh, I'm personally still kind of working on. And uh, it's, it's definitely a switch when you have, like, in how to work in collaboratively. And, like, when you, when you choose to give up your own ideas, it's similarly to working with a partner, design partner, rather than just working with yourself. There's give and take there. And now there's give and take with seven other opinions sometimes in the room. Um, but uh, with that being said, it, 
so far for me, it's not felt like designed by committee. Um, it's really like people do seem to feel empowered to lead a game project or lead certain portions of it. Um, and uh, there's always, uh, among all the designers while it's being passed off, the game usually does stay with a single producer. Um, so within the studio, we have producers, game designers, artists, uh, designers, uh, graphic designers, um, and producers basically, since they're gonna stay with that game, usually not only through design, but all the way through all the production and even through uh, like the, sometimes the manufacturing, um, and they really get to kind of own the game. And so like, if there is an editorial decision that gets made, oftentimes it's actually uh, the producer that gets to make that choice because they've been, they've possibly been with the project longer than the designers that are currently assigned to it are. Um, so that took some getting used to. Uh, whereas like, what do you, what do you mean? I don't get to make that choice. <laughs> it was a, a little weird when uh, there are those uh, conflicting moments of opinion and designs. Mm. Um, but uh, overall, I think it, it's, uh, it's really beneficial and uh, it's nice to be able to have and leverage those opinions. Um, as far as like leveraging the playtesting, it was almost to the, like, I didn't know how to take advantage of it so much at the beginning where I would play a game and be like, yeah, like this seems good. I've played it the amount of times that I'm normally used to being able to get play tests for it. I feel pretty confident about it. Um, and like the response of other people would be like, eh, you can play it a lot more and maybe there's more that we can get from it. Uh, so like adjusting expectations of like how much time we actually have on these projects and how much we can actually get them played. And, and there, it's just, it's two different worlds from when you're freelancing to when you have this kind of resources behind you as far as the amount of uh, play testing that you can really get done. Sorry, I thought you were going for a second there, Jesse. <laughs> no, I didn't. Sorry. Um, no, now I feel like I'm on the spot. Uh, yeah, what's, what's your question, Jesse? That's well, question. so what was, I was, well, I, I, Jesse could think about it. I didn't mean to put him on the spot. So what was the transition like? Because you were there before Funko, right? And now mm -hmm. you're a full-time employee. So kind yeah, of like, so how did that sort of thing happen? Because for all we know, this could be the beginning of a trend. <laughs> So Forrest Prezan uh, was uh, not a publisher before, um, and now that it is, um, it's different because we basically have to deal with less less people. If we want to really make a game, we no longer have to convince a publisher that they should make this game with us. We can be like, well, actually, we have faith in this game. We just want to make it, and we can. Um, so because of that, it, it, there is a little bit of difference as far as like my day to day and how we work as a studio that hasn't actually changed that much. We work very similarly. And a lot of that is to do that. We, we still have a lot of projects with old, uh, publishing partners that we're continuing to do and want to continue to do into the future. Um, so I'm currently working on, uh, five games and, uh, two of them are, or actually three of them are for uh, a different publisher other than Funko, even though we're still producing, uh, designing them. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it's not really, oh, it's no. not been like a we huge. Lost. We lost you... I swear he was just I, talking. Oh. Oh, I, I am, yeah, I was, I was <laughs> okay. for some reason. Uh. Oh, uh, probably for a good reason. I was probably coughing or something. We, so I was gonna, I was just saying that that may change in the future, who knows? What the future holds. Yeah, uh, we don't really know what the future holds. Um, we know we really like our publishing partners. Obviously, we also uh, want to be successful as a publisher. So that, that's all being shaken out. It's above my pay grade. I just yeah. like make games. 
Yeah. Um, so a question on that, though. So uh, Brad Batchelor, one of our supporters on our Patreon, asked a question. He said, uh, what's the difference between Force Present and Prospero Hall? Or is it neither now that it's Funko? And you know, there's a bunch of companies that are definitely linked to Forrest Prezan, but they're probably mm -hmm. not Forrest Prezan, and we just don't know that. The, the general public doesn't understand. They're, actually, most of them are Forrest Prezan. Uh, so uh, Forrest Prezan, as a company at one point, did have uh, Wonderforge, which they then sold. Mm -hmm. uh, so Wonderforge is no longer us, even though we continue to design a lot of Wonderforge product. Wonderforge is actually a uh, brand of Ravensburger now, I believe. Um, and uh, the difference between Force Prezan and Prospero Hall is Prospero Hall is the pen name that we use for the studio. Um, right. So that's the name that we all can sign. Um, and uh, originally, I think the idea was that it was going to be for the more uh, strategy-heavy uh, offerings that we brought to market. Uh, it's now pretty much applied to everything, um, just as our, as our name that we put on the box as the designer. Um, and so that's still being used even as we move into Funko. Funko games will be designed by Prospero Hall. Right, I see. Okay, cool. Um, and then who has, in your time with, uh, when you were with Force Prezan and now Funko, who else have you been, who are your publishing partners or were your publishing partners? Yeah, so um, our publishing, the big two publishing partners that we have are uh, Robinsberger and Asmodee. Um, so, uh, like, we have Jaws coming out with uh, Robinsberger. I think uh, Universal Monsters Horrified is also Robinsberger um, that are coming out uh, this year. Um, mm -hmm. And then, uh, like, we have a game called Pinnacle that's coming out with Asmodee later. Um, we also do work with, uh, we did work with Big G Creative. That's um, the so one I was looking at, yeah. Yeah, so if you're familiar, uh, and for a while, actually, I think we did pretty much the entire Big G Creative line. Um, so like the Bob Ross games, um, there's a Kenny G game coming out later this year. Okay. That is ridiculously awesome. Yeah. Kenny G. Uh. Soprano sax. Good stuff. Let's go. Animated <laughs> <laughs> music. And then um, didn't Kenny, didn't Kenny G, didn't Big G also do, did they do the Home Alone? Yes, they did, and that was okay. also that was also developed by by us. Yes, and then MacGyver was MacGyver them as well. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the MacGyver game, but that, mm. that's possible okay. before time. Yeah, cool. So that's really interesting to hear. Uh, so you'll you'll be keeping for now. There's definitely some projects that you're finishing for other companies like Ravensburger and Asmodee, like you said, and so then is there anything you can tell us without you know breaking NDAs or whatever about um, Funko's slate? What are, what is, what's a Funko game gonna look like? So I can tell you, I can't really reveal too much because most sure. of those uh, games haven't been announced. But what I can say is uh, a Funko game is not just gonna be a game that has a, a Funko pop in it. Um, that, uh, we kind of, uh, Funko is a, uh, what is the official company line? Uh, <laughs> A pop culture company, I think, is is what the official line is, and so uh, we want to make games for people who are fans of things, and uh, we also are like as a studio, are want to make games that we just think are cool and fun, um, and so we're not going to be, it's not going to necessarily just be, you know, oh, like how can we put a pop into this game? Mm -hmm. um, it's we're not tied by that. We're not uh, tied to selling more pops. Uh, 
so it, as far as like what kind of offerings we're going to have, it's it's going to it's going to be pretty varied. Um, is all I can say. That's great um, to know. Yeah, and well, uh, we have some big announcements that are going to be coming up uh, throughout the summer. So excellent. I I know the Funko line, like at New York Toy Fair, you could see the switch happening where there was a ton of IP, and you could kind of see where they're extracting like a look where it's like they're vaguely related, but it, they're softening. Like you're not seeing a lot of that that pop figure anymore. You're seeing a lot of product though, and so yeah. I can see it turn to into the game realm quite quickly. <laughs> And Funko is a is a pretty large company. Like a lot of people don't realize that Loungefly, uh, which makes a lot of purses and handbags and other things and apparel, is is part of Funko as well. So uh, it's pretty far reaching, um, and they they seem to be controlling at a pretty good pace or growing at a pretty good pace, I should say. So diversifying. <laughs> yeah, I think they bought an animation studio last year in London too. Um, Just buy an animation studio. Why not? Why yeah, not? Uh, buy, yeah. buy a game studio. Buy whatever you want. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's treat yourself uh, like a company. <laughs> One, of <Yeah. laughs> One of each. One of each. One of each. Is there going to be games that have pops in them though that you know of? I'm just wondering, just because that's what everybody has got to happen at some point. Yeah, like, everybody would like say, people. "Oh, so I guess instead of mini miniatures, we're gonna have pops now." So I mean, it has I, to be at least one. I use pops in my prototypes, so I've got a big old I got a big old Funko Rathalos from Monster Hunter that I use in as a boss in any game that's got a big big enemy. So they're, they're great prototyping tools. Just market them <laughs> as that. I, I love pops. Uh, I get <laughs> I get a discount now at the Funko store. I have a bunch of them on my desk now. It's great. That would be memorable. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we we use prototyping too. Yeah, I'll just say that. Yeah. How about there you go. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Nice. Um, so we talked a little bit about uh, structure and format of how you work within the internal team. Um, is there is it difficult having so many designers in one space with the industrial designer and the graphic designer and the illustrator? Do you have time to basically sit by yourself and say, I'm gonna pound out these numbers and don't bug me about the packaging or whatever? How does that yeah, work? Um... Most of the time as a, as a game designer, I'm not actually bothered with packaging at all. Um, it's the producer that's managing most of that, uh, that effort. Um, I'll get to put in my, my two cents and whatever, uh, but uh, it's mainly the producer that's handling all that. Um, as far as like there being eight other game designers, there's a lot of other game projects being worked on. Um, so like for instance, uh, um, most of the games that I'm working on, I'm the only game designer uh, assigned to right now. So. Uh, if I need time to just sit at my desk and hammer on it, no one's going to bother me to do that. Uh, we also recently implemented a system where we have this like whiteboard uh, and you can mark yourself basically what your varying level of like how committed you are. Um, so you could be like, I'm available for playtests. I'm available for new projects. I'm, I'm totally committed. Um, and so like that lets people know like where you are uh, so they don't have to come bother you. Um, mm, that's great. So yeah, there's a plenty of time to, sit at your desk and, and beat your head against a wall. <laughs> it's very important. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's part a central of part of the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the process. Um, so, so you'd said that before you were at Funko, you did freelance for a while and you've been in video games before that. Has your time with Funko and being part of this sort of uh, industrial uh, system changed the way that you approach design? Um. 
it's made me faster uh, and uh, coming up and iterating on designs than I was before, uh, just because of the scale and uh, the necessity of the amount of projects that we're working on. Um, as far as process within itself, I've probably, I work pretty much the same way, I think. Um, I, I haven't worked, unfortunately, with you and Zen, uh, which hope to at some point, but Erica, <laughs> I've, I've, I've jammed with. And uh, like, I kind of, I feel like that as far as like how I think and how I work, that hasn't really changed too much. I've just now uh, been forced to like work faster on things. Um, yes. Okay. He wants so, the meat. He's asking for the, the meat. meat. Is the meat ready? The meat. That's one of the growing boys. He is uh, three or four inches taller than me already. So he's hungry. Okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less about meat, more about games. Uh, now I want meat. You have me thinking about meat. Um, <laughs> it must be dinner time around where you are. So there you go. It is. Yeah, it's six thirty. I actually haven't had dinner yet, so it'll, it'll get there soon. Um, what is, what is yeah. your What is your day like? Can you go through a, a a day from when you wake up to when you come home? What does it look like for Nate Wiseman? Uh, my mornings are pretty boring. Uh, I wake up, walk my dog. Uh, I'm lucky enough that I get to bring uh, my dog Archer to work every day. Um, our, we, have a, we have a dog friendly office and there's anywhere between uh, two and five dogs in the office, uh, which is, is pretty great. Pretty awesome. um, I live about uh, 40 minutes away from work. So I drive in. Um, we have uh, Monday mornings. Uh, there is a all hands meeting where we kind of just go down the list of where every project in the studio is. And then after that, there's a quick uh, designer meeting where we just kind of say like, these are the projects, these are the things coming up. This is what we need ideas on. Um, and everyone kind of sets their, uh, that whiteboard that I mentioned, that's kind of when we kind of set that for the, the first, uh, for the week. Um, and then after that, um, it's really uh, free form. Um, you're kind of empowered as, uh, to, to spend your time how you think is necessary. Um, there are meetings throughout the day. Um, but, uh, like I don't have someone telling me a direct priority order or what I need to be working on necessarily for each, uh, each individual project. I, I kind of manage that myself. And then there are certain dates that I know of like, okay, we have a weekly check-in for this game on Thursday afternoon. This is what we're expected to, we're going to see or what they want to see or how we need to be moving forward. And we have uh, an end date of, uh, like when print files are due and then all those things that we're, we're working towards. Um, so as, as things get closer to the deadline, they kind of move up in priority and, and whatnot. Um, but a lot of it is spent uh, at a desk working, you know, um, either looking at uh, online for inspiration for different things or, uh, you know, actually just crafting prototypes um, and trying out different things. Um, so it doesn't, like I, I say this like in all sincerity, a lot of the times I can't believe that it's a job. It feels a lot like summer camp. Um, in my entire career as freelancing, there was always some hustle or business side attached to the design. And this is the first time that I felt like I really, it's not only not my responsibility, but like, I'm like, no one even asks for me to do that stuff. And it's just really like my time is spent uh, just creating and, and coming up with new mechanics and, and trying them out. Um, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Great. People jealous. Yeah, uh, the dog friendly office uh, going. That's super awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it certainly is. helps yeah. the summer camp feel. I imagine <laughs> it does, I, I, and I think like it's just also the way that we we work. Like 
no one's like keeping attendance or anything. Um, there is obviously like you, you're required to report if you're not there, but, uh, and a lot, it's just the communal feeling and the culture that we, they've they've built at FPC and at Funko that that's really also I think contributes to that feeling where mm-hmm. you uh, you go into the kitchen and there's people hanging out either play testing games, jamming ideas, just talking about what's going on in the world. There isn't like while everyone is very motivated and working very hard, there's a relaxed kind of feeling around um, and a very supportive one. Um, so I think that's also where it kind of comes from. Um, and our playtest laboratory is basically a living room, um, so <laughs> that that helps too. Yeah, that actually makes total sense because where do you play games in your kitchen or living room? So in a room yeah, with I white mean, painted walls and a double mirror and a single light hanging from. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we we have that room too, but we don't use it for the same thing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, what tools do you have available to you that? Uh, regular old freelance designer like the rest of us may not have? Um, we have nice printers uh, and we have a corner rounder, which I didn't think was a big deal until I got there and rounding your own corners for punch cart, like cardstock printed stuff is, uh, it's really nice. It makes a big <laughs> difference. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is the printer and like just the readily accessible quantities of whatever component you can think of, um, right. uh, is something I think really can be underestimated. Um, is that so, somebody's like, responsibility to like keep, keep all the cubes up to a certain level? Yeah, we have an office manager, uh, and she, she te- keeps, make sure that we have stuff. So like if we're running low on dice, we're running low on chips, whatever, if we ever do run out of something like there's. Uh, was a project uh, that had some weird components and it was like, all right, well, it would, you know, just asked her and she ordered it um, online, you know, from Amazon and it showed up the next day. Um, we also do a lot of IP uh, stuff. Um, luckily our uh, office is right above, uh, we actually own the building, I think, uh, of uh, Scarecrow Video, which is a, uh, think about Blockbuster, but like Blockbuster that has everything that was ever made. Oh, wow. Um, uh, it's actually like a landmark in the city, I think. Um, and uh, so on we can VHS though, on VHS or DVD, uh, they have a lot of VHS tapes. I think that's so um, fun. Yeah. And it does so, and so you you can go rent stuff, and you know if you're making a movie, uh, a game about a movie, you can go watch the movie and then yeah. jam it out, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I have a list. Uh, which I can't share, unfortunately, um, of yeah. all the movies that I've, I've watched at work. Um, I've watched some horror movies in the middle of the day, which really makes for a weird rest of the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, a- Andrew Wolf is saying uh, that the corner rounder is the second best to industrial chop cutters. So I think... Ooh. When he was yeah. at the OP, uh, they had the op. They had this giant, like pneumatic thing that you could cut sixty pages of, of cardstock at once. So he really liked that. We don't have that. If oh, we had that'd be it, handy. I, yeah. You, you tell the <sighs> office know. manager. Today, someone was asking questions about uh, a laser uh, cutter. So I, I'm, I was I'm asking questions about that yesterday with Jesse. <laughs> so I'm hoping that that means we're going to get a laser cutter soon. Uh, I'm hoping have... that means I get a laser cutter soon. I don't think that's how causality that, that, works. I, I think that is how that works. <laughs> I mentioned it in the same day that he was thinking about it. Right? So that means you have to buy him one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, had, I got it. one, but 
I was gonna say I got a component cut that was laser cut. It, it adds up. Yeah, and it's just time and effort, and uh, and mostly it's my friend's laser cutter, and he's like, "Oh yeah, 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 I'll cut it," and I and I, I want to pay him, uh, Tim. I do want to pay you, but he's like, "No, no, no, don't pay." But then it's on his time, and you know maybe I have more of a need. So we've talked about he he's a game store owner, so we've talked about running a maker shop out of his game store on one side of it, so that I buy the equipment and he'd learn how to use it and run it. And then I could just come in after work and have a key to the store. Cause I usually am designing at like two o'clock in the morning. Um, and so that would be my best thing. Um, moving on from that, uh, is, is this design house type of thing, the future of game design? Where's my thing? Where's my thing that goes Where's right your banner? There? Where's my thing that goes there? It's not showing. Uh, anyways. No big deal. Um, is it the future of game design? Are there more design houses that we don't know of? There it goes. Um, do you know of any more that you can? I don't you... know of any on the scale that uh, Forest Brazan was. Um, yeah. There are smaller ones that I know of. I think in general, um, there's a, a space in the industry for design houses. I think it's really nice. Um, and I, I think it's basically like, for instance, like the if the three of you and Daryl Andrews and uh, you know a few other people got together and decided like, hey, let's pool our resources, let's find someone who can negotiate for all of us, um, and kind of set up, you know, basically freelance as a group. That's how I, I imagine a design studio would come to come to fruition um, moving forward. I think, unfortunately, how I kind of see a lot of the industry going is I feel like uh, publishers. Uh, after they get to a certain scale, are going to try to bring those uh, resources in house, uh, kind of like Funko did. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is like, why pay a royalty if I can pay someone's salary and then own everything? Um, yeah. And so that's kind of the trade off as a designer, also, to is like, how much do I want to own the the IP and the stuff that I'm working on, True. opposed to how much do I just want to get paid <laughs> and uh, still have that creative like freedom to to work within those restrictions, um, right? I mean, I think this has a chance to set precedent that this is now is a viable thing. I, I mean, I, we're not going to see like Funko swooping in all the time, but at the same time, companies like that, if they're trying to diversify and they are picking up, you know, like different types mm -hmm. of studios as they're going along, it's so that they can literally do everything themselves. I think there is a chance for more and more of that coming as these companies mm -hmm. are constantly merging into these larger you know, entities, they kind of want one of everything. And so I think there is room there, but the question is, is whether or not people are prepared for that kind of, to play in that kind of space. It's not just design, right? Correct, yeah. And I think the other thing that made Forest Prison uh, successful is that it was such a turnkey operation where they were like, we can offer you everything. Or it's not just like, you're gonna have to still find art for this. It's that we can de deliver everything you need to bring to a printer and all you have to deal is the distribution and the production or dealing with distributors rather because it's a three-tiered system. Um, but yeah. Uh, oh, and I, I shop, do, right? right, yeah, it, which is super nice. I think there is, especially with Forest Prison becoming part of Funko, I do see that I think, especially for the like the renegades and the like the kind of uh, the growing publishers that don't have the resources to bring in a big team. Uh, I think there is a, a a space there for more design studios, um, and I, I think there's a lot of benefits that a design studio has over uh, an individual freelancer. Um, 
as far as what they can offer and how they can compete against those individual freelancers necessarily. Yeah. Like, and I like think, testing. Yeah. <laughs> that. I think there's, um, it's huge. I think there's a lot of publishers out there who kind of build their own little stable of, of designers that they like, um, which is good, but it's, it's more that centralized location thing that I think that's where the real benefit is. Um, You're creating a team, right? Like mm, it's yeah. very different when everyone's present. It's there's a dynamicness there that you can't get otherwise. You might I think that's true. Build a game yeah. design commune. <laughs> well, uh, I have a, a friend <laughs> who talks about that constantly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it is. And then I think it's also the idea that you're um, you're able among the that group to be of of designers and resources to provide enough work that that is all that you're doing, that you're focusing on that rather than it being, as a lot of you you know, uh, freelancers often can't make a full-time living being just a game designer. And so they, ha or they have to or want to have other work on the side. And so part of, I think, what makes the design studio uh, effective is that they can lose money on one project, but make money on another and still kind of even things out um, because they're they're dealing in larger quantities because yeah. they're in a centralized location because they're focused on it and uh, um, they're using all the connected resources that all everyone involved has. Right, which makes buying something like a six thousand dollar laser cutter a business expense as opposed to a personal expense, right? Right. Yeah. It, uh, and, and, and that's what you took from it. <laughs> that's all. That's all I'm taking from this. Is I want a laser cutter. I mean, the, the other, I think the other thing. Sorry. Yeah, Jess. I was just saying the, the other thing that struck me as like really nice about the situation that you're in because you're part of a design studio is that um, it sounds like they give you guys the freedom to have passion projects and run with them a little bit, which keeps the sort of creativity running on high. It means that you don't get into the grind. You're not necessarily getting stuck in the grind on a project. You can hand it off. You can you know keep mm -hmm. your attention focused on things that make you feel energized. Where when you're freelancing. Um, if you've got something that's lined up and it's going to come out soon, or there's a contract on the table, I mean, that's, you know, that's bills that can get paid. And even if your heart's not in it anymore, you need to take a break. There's a deadline done. and it's got to get done and there's nobody else yeah. that can do it. Um, and that can take I'm not a lot of this work out. Right. And, uh, and there are certainly times that it's like, this just has to get done and there's no one else like you know, we're, we have to meet deadlines too. And unfortunately, even if, you know, you hate a project, you, you're the one that's working on it. So you have to get it done. Uh, but it is lucky that you have other people to bring other fresh ideas to it, re-inspire you uh, to share that with. Um, I had something else I was going to say, but I totally lost it. Oh, well. Uh, It'll come back. But yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I agree. <laughs> um, so, how come Asmodee doesn't have a design studio? What do you think? I think they, they have a few. Uh, I mean, because within Asmodee, you have like all the different studios that they work yes, with. Yes, that's true. I think yeah. what came to us in particular was that um, Force Bazan has a expertise in mass market games. Um, right. The most commercial of commercial games. And I think they, they were looking to us to help them design in that space. Um, and so that's what where most of our games are, are for them, are, are made for uh, directly going into Target and Walmart um, and so, have pretty large quantities right off the bat. So what That's is actually that? a question. Oh, oh go okay. ahead, Jesse. Uh, um, I was going to say, so what does that feel like as a design constraint? 
coming at this from a design side when someone says, all right, we're going to make this thing and it's going to go in mass market. What does that mean for you when you sit down and you put pencil on paper? Yeah. So for us, it, it, it means a lot of um, being really constrained in what you think the complexity of a game can be. Um, and also the componentry, because uh, a lot of the times it has to be a game that's going to fit in a box of a certain size and it's going to be $9.99 or it can't be over $15 or, you know, something that for a core game seems ridiculous. Um, and it's just what you have to do. Um, so something that I'm learning from coming from like myself as a, as a core market gamer, like, uh, and where I was freelancing is learning how to like judge complexity levels on a different idea of like, not necessarily like this can't has to be super simple, like it's candy land, but how do we create really interesting choices that aren't complex to explain and aren't complex to wrap your mind around so that um, grandma who's pulling it out with her eight year old can still feel like she knows the game, she can teach it. And both of them have uh, a great experience and being able to come up with good choices. Um, and so it's just being, we've lost everyone. Um, it's just being cognizant of like the, <laughs> the uh, kind of, uh, skill level and complexity level that you want to have to take to be in that in that area, um, and I think you can assume that more core market gamers are prepared for uh, more complexity and more abstract thinking than you could necessarily in uh, in a mass game. Right. Um, yeah. So that actually dovetails nicely with the the question from the audience that Sen was gonna to bring up. So Brad Bachelor was asking that a lot of uh, your games are simple enough to have mass market appeal, but have enough decisions to satisfy ho hobby gamers. Was that a conscious decision? And then can you tell us a little bit about how you go about executing on that? Yeah, um, and, and I see Andrew Wolf uh, re responded as well. He's actually been uh, involved with uh, probably more of these projects than I have at this point, uh, although that might be changing soon. I don't know. Uh, anyway. Uh, it's a very conscious decision. It's uh, and for a product like Villainous, it was uh, from the get-go a goal to say like we want to include and make a, a game that is a strategy game, but it can fit in mass. And so like how what is that line and how can we walk it? Um, and I think Villainous is is probably one of our most our heavier games that we make. Um, and uh, it takes a lot of testing and a lot of uh, um, playing it just within our own our own hands and then also getting it out there um, and like literally saying like, what is every word we can cut from this card? What is, does this need to be said this way? Is there a better way to explain it? Um, and testing it with everyone we can, we can um, to make sure that we're, we're really hitting that level. Um, and sometimes that means like we kill things that I personally love because even though it's not super complicated, it's just enough to be, what we think might be like, oh, this this could cause some people to need to go to an FAQ or something, and that might right. lead to an overall negative experience while playing. So, is it worth like the benefit from a gameplay point of view to have that extra level of complexity? And sometimes it's like, you know, literally one bullet point difference of of how a thing works, or whether or not it's uh, is this a check if or if then command kind of thing, or is it just do this at the end of your turn? And obviously those have big gameplay ramifications down the line, but it's that kind of thinking of, and that kind of granular thinking yeah. of how can we make this really as accessible as possible while leaving in as many interesting decisions as possible. Yeah, it, it is interesting trying to switch from a hobby mindset mm -hmm. to a mass because what we think of as being fairly simple games are actually still too complicated. And it's not, not a strategy issue. It is a, 
I can't explain this fast enough. Yeah. I, yeah. I need the gameplay simplified. Keep all the strategy you want, but the gameplay has to be simplified. And that is a really weird line to walk and get used yeah. to walking. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really true. Yeah. Um, Actually, on that note, I have a, a, a little... A, are there any Forest Present games that are drafting games? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> See, now I need like, to know. ones that I can talk know. about. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can talk about it. All right. but... No, no, it, it was just a, a yes yeah. or no. Because I've, um, my my surprise litmus test for designers is to try and explain drafting to their to their grandparents. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, that's that's a challenge. Like, but that's a good example because drafting is something that a, a core market gamer or core gamer like knows inherently of like, oh yeah, this is what drafting cards mean. Um, but a mass, you can't assume that from a mass gamer, um, and that means that if you include that in a game, you have to uh, include all of the rules of how you're passing around cards, which you should do anyway. But like, you have to write it in a way for someone who's potentially never drafted cards before. Um, but I think like there's a there's a double edged sword to that because you're potentially creating a game for someone who's never played a game before. They have no preconceived notions theoretically of of how that should work. So if you come up with something new, you don't necessarily and it's it makes sense. It's you don't have to assume that they're they're fighting against a already known um, like preconception of how a game should work. Um, yeah, it's, it's like it's the version of everything. Yeah, yeah. You you get like basically the chance to be like, here's an introduction to this way of thinking, and that's it's kind of cool in itself. Um, too. So. It is. Sorry, <laughs> the attack. Um, is there anything that you guys use daily that you actually think would be really useful for people who do freelance? Like, I was kind of curious, you guys keep talking about, you keep talking about a very relaxed atmosphere, but at the same time, you sound like you've got a lot of deadlines happening at the same time. How is that managed? Like, how is it like, keep on track, but don't, don't worry guys, but keep on track. Um, a lot of it is getting ahead of, of projects so that uh, hopefully you don't hit those deadlines. So like the games I'm working on now are their files are due in uh, between November and January. So I have a long time to work on them. And obviously if like, if I get ahead and we're comfortable with them, then it's very comfortable. Uh, but if it's, you know, getting into uh, September and October and we're still not solid on gameplay, then it's going to be a different story um, because we're going to still have to get the game done. Those dates aren't going to move. And if we don't have a game design that we like, we have to find one and then we have to, you know, keep testing oh. until so it can become more. So does, but we try to give our we, we basically try to give ourselves as much time to develop the game as possible. And so, like at the beginning stages, we're much more open with like taking our time and figuring out things. Um, and only really uh, at the end do we have if we're in a bad state does it does it start to feel like crunch. Um, the other things that can uh, slow us down or create uh, points of tension are um, licensing approval, waiting on. Uh, making sure that it's like, we want to do this art direction, but we have to make sure the movie studio is okay with it. Um, maybe we have to take that mustache off because it makes it look too much like an actor. Um, and all that stuff can uh, can really kind of build up towards the end. I think um, it's not so much that it's like people are encouraged to just be lax. It's more of just the idea of like, you probably do your best work when you're not stressed out all the time. Um, and so that's 
that's more of what it what it is uh, than uh, a perception that it's like, oh, we just have all the time in the world. I think also right now we we're very lucky in that we have as much time on the projects that we're working on right now that we, as we do. Um, that isn't necessarily all the case, always the case. So Forrest Prezan takes pitches from freelancers or is that only when they're in dire situations? No. Um, we almost never take pitches from freelancers. Okay. Um, we do pretty much everything in-house. Um, even like designers that have, uh, for example, I have designs that I would like to uh, do, um, but, but I own the design because I, I made it before I was at Forrest Prezan or Funko. They're not necessarily even interested in those, even if they think it's a great game, because it's another royalty that they would have to pay. And from Monko's perspective, why gotcha. pay royalties when we, we have a bunch of game designers? Right. Um, You're already paying people. You don't need to pay more of them. <laughs> or right. them anymore. Um, <laughs> That's an interesting question, though. So um, in your contract, which you don't have to disclose, obviously, but there's probably something that says, you know, stuff you design is... You know, mm -hmm. Funko's, Funko's intellectual property. Um, and so you can't work on side projects or you can work on side projects. How does that work at all? As far as I know, uh, I can't work on um, anything that would compete with uh, a Funko product. Right. Um, and uh, as far as like game invention, my contract is pretty clear that uh, everything I create uh, that's a game belongs to Funko during, for the duration of uh, the time I work there. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where kind of uh, you, as a value judgment, have to say, like, how much is it worth that I want to own these things and that they're, they're mine, opposed to uh, everything I'm making doesn't belong to me and I, I don't have control what happens to it. If I leave, it stays with the company. I think even somewhere in the contract that says I sh I'm supposed to give them all my notebooks um, and everything, leave those behind. I don't know who's going to come get my notebooks, but. <laughs> the Funko <laughs> police. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so they, they do, uh, it is pretty clear that uh, it, you're basically making that sacrifice of saying I'm giving my creative labor and creations up uh, in exchange for benefits and, and pay. Um, and in my experience, uh, like from being a freelancer, uh, it, they're doing like you can look at it as just like a straight value of like how much effort does it take in the hustle to get a game published um, and then you own that and then you're on the line for like it's even once it's published you don't know how much money you're going to get from it or how much support it's going to get um, opposed to like I know that I'm going to get paid every two weeks and I have healthcare um, right. and for me yes. like <laughs> that's allowed me to actually just enjoy designing and enjoy doing this professionally a lot more than I think I did uh, as a freelancer. And now I, I miss certain aspects of it. Like I, I miss, uh, like I did enjoy selling my game and like getting the firsthand experience of like get, seeing someone experience it for the first time and loving it. Um, and you're kind of separated from that a little bit because there are other people in the company that, that do that. Um, and so I do miss that, but I don't think that that's worth uh, giving up the, the kind Healthcare. of comfortable position yeah. I have right now. Yeah, yeah, well, the three of us are all on the side, right? Like none of us are full time at this because it's <clears> as apparently Jesse has left being on the side and has run away to Jesse's join gone Funko. Blank. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. But um oh well. Oh, he'll be back. He'll be back. He wants to know more. Mm -hmm. And um <laughs> so have you ever and you know you know on the side not that you've done it but have you ever had a game design idea and said I I this 
I'm going to keep this for when I'm not working at Funko. <laughs> How can I answer this question? Uh, when I was <laughs> working for contractor, so no, no, he has ah. no idea. He's <laughs> banking when he leaves. None at all. None. Uh, no, but th- th- it did actually, like, in all honesty, especially so uh, how we hire uh, designers, at least, is you're usually hired onto a, a six, uh, a few month or and then eventually a six month contract. Uh, I got hired onto a six month contract before I offered a full time position. It just happened during my six months um, that Funko bought the company as well. Um, and so it, during the six months, though, I, I will say that I was really hesitant. There's a, a, a website that we have where we're encouraged to put up any ideas that we have that are blue sky ideas that uh, might never get made, but at least you're you're letting everyone in the company know like, hey, here's an idea I have, and I think it would be really cool, and then other people can respond and, and you know encourage you to work on it or whatever. Um, and while I was a contractor, I felt pretty disincentivized to, to put up ideas I really loved on there, uh, because I knew if I put it up on there, it belonged to them, and if I left, I couldn't do it. So now that I'm a full-time employee, I, I feel less conflicted about that. Right. Um, but I, I think it's a, it's a fair thing to to think about, um, and there are definitely some ideas that are games that I have uh, like that I sold to IDW and have signed with them that they're uh, I could get back at and uh, other other designs I had previously that I would love to do at some point. Um, and then you know it's just that like even though Funko has no interest in them, I can't act on them either right now because I'd be competing with Funko. Um, And so, you know, maybe years down the line or or something, I'll I'll be able to get back to those ideas. But um, currently I'm, I'm pretty occupied just coming up with stuff for, (laughs) for the projects that I have and they keep me pretty busy. Um, Right. So you have a non-compete clause as well. Um, Do you mm -hmm. have a non-compete clause? Uh, Like if you left Funko for God knows why you do this, sounds awesome. Uh, but if you did leave Funko, is there a non-compete clause for like X number of months? You're not working for a competitor or anything like that that you know of? Um, I don't believe so. Uh, I read the contract fairly carefully, but uh, I believe there is no like exiting non-compete. Like I can leave and go work for the OP or um, yeah. Fantasy Flight or, or go freelance again. And yeah. I, I don't believe that would be an issue. Um, that'd be hard to, I, I, that'd be really rough on their part too in in force onto people anyway because it's like if you're gonna leave game design you're gonna go to game design it's like basically like no you can leave but you can't work <laughs> yeah and, but i mean people do that uh there are and or they at least try to there i don't know of a, a case within the game design industry but in the u.s here we have a company called jimmy johns that absolutely tried to do that to people in, for sandwich shops it was like well if you leave you can't work at another sandwich shop that's it's ridiculous. like yeah, it, it was. Uh, and I think I, they got sued for it. But so yeah, I think my, my advice for anyone, uh, for any situation when you're uh, giving up uh, your rights to creative IP or and not compete is to really read those ca- things carefully and make sure that you're really comfortable with what you're giving up. Um, mm-hmm. Because you are giving up things, um, whether you think you're not, you are, or you're not. Um, and it's often, it's often worth the trade. But, um, you know, as the creative, it's hard anytime you're you make a conscious choice to say like, my name's not going to be on this. People will have to learn that I did it or uh, that I, you know, I'm not going to own this too. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not like a credit thing. It's like, you have to have that your own internal validation. So but I think it's a warning too, because this, it does sound like a great uh, way of, you know, working full-time in design, but 
as you're saying, it's like you have to realize there are trade-offs and you have to be comfortable with them. And if you are, great. Maybe a design studio is perfect for you. If you're hearing stuff, but you know, Nathan's saying and you're cringing, I don't think it sounds like a good one for you. Yeah, I, and I think like as much as I, I make it sound like, oh, we get to work on whatever we want, that isn't also really the, the choice. Sometimes you're like, oh, I, I'm not really thrilled about that project, but it, it's landed on my desk and mm -hmm. you're gonna do it. Um, you know, it, it's it's the odd chance that you get to say like, hey, I think you're really much, you're going to do better for this, and it all works out fine. And and sometimes that doesn't work. Like people are, they disagree, and they're like, actually, I don't want to do that. I had an idea for it, but I think like I don't have time. And you're mm -hmm. stuck with the project to to push forward. Because um, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, it is a job, and you you're expected to make deadlines. Right. Um, so, so what's one final piece of advice that you'd give to people who are thinking about either working at a design studio, starting a design studio, something like that, other than get a laser cutter or whatever that thing they just, <laughs> that we want. What's the, what, what's the final piece of advice? Quarter rounder. Yeah. Quarter rounder, that's what you need. Uh, my final, and this is kind of, uh, I think, advice for anyone who I think wants to get into games is just keep making stuff, uh, out, like whatever you're doing, just keep making stuff, just keep honing your skills as a, as a creator. Um, I think if you want to eventually work in a design studio, um, my advice would be start working with other people and uh, building your skills as a collaborator because um, those are definitely, it's a skill set and uh, it, it's something that I've had to grow with uh, working at Funko and I'm continuing to grow on. Um, uh, so I think I would find, find those people that you can work with and, and learn uh, how to work with uh, varying groups of people. Um, I think the other thing is, is um, if you're in the Seattle area or if you're in uh, areas that have other design studios, a great way to get involved with them is if they have playtesting programs or workshopping programs to absolutely seek them out and to take part in them. Because uh, a lot of the time, unfortunately, uh, people hire from the people that they're familiar with and the people that they know. And so it's a yeah. good way to get into the industry is, is to find those uh, chances to just show up and be, be around. Mm -hmm. So uh, if people did want to reach out to you, Mr. Nathan Wiseman, how could they do that? Are they, are you available uh, on Twitter or? Yeah, I would say Twitter is probably the best place to get a hold of me. I have a, a slightly strange handle. It's at N Wiseman, W E I S M A. Um, and yeah, it's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, Facebook too, I guess. Excellent. Okay, and Jesse has dropped. He just messaged me. He's reset his router, but he probably won't make it back to say goodbye. So I'll say goodbye to Bye, you for Jesse. him. Oh, poor Jesse. Um, and Erica, you can be reached at? Uh, Twitter is usually best at Frenemy Games, Frenemy with an I. And I found out I actually have that uh, Instagram account that I found out apparently I have. Yes. And so I've actually have maybe a whole seven pictures up there. So you can go there now too, because I'm like, hey, <laughs> I will attempt it. I apparently have one, so. It's your summer job, summer job. And I'm up me, to 170 can... people. Wow. Wow. You can You're an Instagram model. At... You're an influencer. Yeah, you are now an influencer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can find me on uh, Twitter as well, at Senfeng Lim. And uh, for those of you who aren't yet patrons of the Meeple Syrup Show, maybe you want to think about it. Uh, you can find that at www.patreon.com slash syrup. And uh, hopefully there it is right there. That is a place where you can go and you can, you know, support us for as little as a dollar a month, all the way up to whatever you want. That's totally fine. And when you are a patron, you get early access to things. There will be 
Um, over the summer, we're going to do Patreon only things, uh, but stuff like our last um, infographic went up last week for the patrons, but non-patrons don't get it until next week. So you see the membership does have its benefits, right? And Erica is working hard at getting a lot of our audio uploaded yeah. and uh, stuff like that and our video uploaded. So <clears throat> there's going to be some really big news on that coming into July uh, where we're going to have, yeah, some excellent news about our podcasting branch of things. And who knows, we might even do some more stuff with podcasting that's audio only, but not video, maybe for the patrons, again, you know, special, special people in our lives. So thank you very much to everybody who's out there supporting the Meeple Syrup Show so that we can bring you more great content like this, more interesting guests like the one Nathan Wiseman. Uh, Nathan, are we going to see you at Gen Con or anything this year? Yep, I will be at Gen Con. Excellent. Uh, Jesse may not be, but Erica and I will be. Um, Erica, where else are you going to be this summer? Uh, Dice Tower, Gen Con, Fan Expo. I think that's the summer. That's Grand Con? Been. Are you I don't know. It's always, I mean, the problem with me is school starting up, right? I, I, mm -hmm. I would consider it because at least we could drive. Yeah, it's very fast. <laughs> so. It's very fast. It's, uh, well, it's like. As far as cons, I also have to plug a uh, big bad con in San Francisco uh, in October. Yeah. Think, uh, it's a great con if you can make it happen. Yes, and Banana Chan, our, our friend, is getting married at Big Bad Con. So uh, if you see her while you're out there, uh, give her a big high five from me because I don't think I'll be there. It's at the same time as some other convention that I'm supposed to be at. Oh, Shucks. It's at the same time as Shucks, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then for me, I'll be at Gen Con. I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con uh, and Fan Expo, Grand Con. And I think it's well, September. Proto is in September. September. Yeah, and that'll be a big one. Though. No, no, no. <laughs> that'll be a big one for Meeple Syrup because we're doing the uh, Meeple Syrup Shop Talk table there, and we're going to be live streaming from that convention for the duration of it, I believe. I think we're doing a lot of live streaming from there, so we'll see what goes so, on. But excellent, excellent, excellent. Thank you so much, everybody, for paying attention to us for the last hour, and we'll see Jesse when he gets back here. So, until uh, next week when we have what? What do we have next week, Erica? Do we know? Next week we'll be dissecting. So we'll have to decide what mechanic we're going to be looking at. Right. So maybe we'll ask you guys on Patreon and on Shop Talk. So we'll see you all there. Nathan, thank you very much. We'll see you soon, sir. It'll be good to get good. again. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Good talking to you guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Meeple Serum Show. If you'd like to support us on all of our projects, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash Meeple Syrup. Hope to see you next week.